I join with those who have already greeted you this morning to express my personal gratitude for your presence. We're so happy to have with us visitors this morning, and we're honored by your presence, as has already been indicated. Appreciate the good prayer in which Chris led us a few moments ago, and I appreciate his remembering Barbara and me, and especially remember Barbara today. She's having problems with her leg again and hip area, and uh, just not able to motor and get around and having quite a bit of pain as well. And there are always people who say that uh, I don't look natural up here without her. And anyway, we appreciate uh, your concern and we trust that she'll be feeling much better as well as all others of our number who are ill and not feeling well. A couple of ushers are poised back there. They'll come down the aisle uh, and uh, they have study guides as we customarily pass out on Sunday morning. So if you'd like one, you can take some notes on this morning's lesson. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to be moving. There's going to be a lot of scriptures this morning as we talk about what kind of heart do we have. There's a saying that goes like this, have a heart. Well, everybody has a heart. And you may be surprised this morning at all the different kinds of hearts that are mentioned in the Bible. I think I have more slides in this lesson than any lesson I've ever preached, but uh, there will be a point and a verse of Scripture to prove that point. And so we're going to be moving pretty rapid fire, our Lord willing, this morning. What kind of a heart? That ought to concern every one of us. We need to have the heart that is pure and that pleases God. And that'll be one of the kinds that we're looking at this morning. But this is a second in a series of studies. We're just going to begin in the book of Genesis and work our way through the Bible and look not at a heart in every chapter, every book even, but just noting all the different kinds of hearts that people have. In Genesis 6 verse 5, the Bible says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's the evil heart. Notice it is with the heart that man thinks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Remember that statement from Proverbs 23? You'll notice here that the thoughts of men's hearts were evil continually. They were a people with evil hearts. That's the reason the flood came because the wickedness of man was so great because of the evil hearts that characterized them. As we look in Deuteronomy chapter 20, we find that there is a fainting heart, and he, that is the priest, shall say to them, the people, Hear, O Israel, Today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. The heart may faint. Do not be afraid. 
Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. The New Testament is filled with several passages that reveal to us that as Christians, we are not to faint. We're not to become weary in well-doing. We are to be characterized by the spirit of faith and steadfastness, not fear. We have not been given the spirit of fear. Do not let your heart faint. The fainting heart is the reason that many become unfaithful in their service to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the beautiful, touching, and tender story of Hannah who so desired a child. And you'll remember that she prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. She'd been blessed with a son. And we all know that he became a great leader because she gave him to the Lord from the time of his birth. She devoted him, dedicated his life to the Lord. She brought him and he was brought up by Eli. Samuel did indeed become a great individual. But notice that her heart rejoiced. So many women have wanted children, and when they found out that they were going to have a child, they rejoiced. But notice that her heart rejoiced in the Lord. There are many today who do not attribute to the Lord the great and blessed power that He gives us to have offspring. Many people destroy that offspring instead of rejoicing in the Lord. The rejoicing heart. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it is said of that wise man who wrote some books of the Bible and served as a great king for a good while over Israel. It is said of Solomon, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Here is a case where a man asked for wisdom early on and God granted him great wisdom to rule the people. But then later in life, his heart was turned from God to other gods, spelled with a small g. And so he was no longer loyal to the, to the God of heaven and earth as his father David had been. Be careful. There are those who would seek to turn our hearts from following the Lord. Satan, of course, is the great deceiver, and that is his greatest goal and ambition, to turn us from God to himself. Be careful about allowing your heart to be turned from God. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, we're introduced to the heart that Ezra had. You'll notice that Ezra, the great restorer, along with Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and others, 
Ezra, we're told, had prepared his heart. There's the prepared heart. To seek the law of the Lord. There's the seeking heart. We need to have a heart like Ezra that is prepared and is ready to receive the instruction that God imparts through His Word. He was going to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. The law had been forgotten. And uh, Ezra set about with those other men that I mentioned to restore the worship of God according to the law that God had given. But that law had been laid aside. Remember when they discovered the book of the law in the temple? Think of how many Bibles are lost in the church building. People forget their Bibles, leave them, and I found Bibles in this building that have been here for years sometimes, and no one has claimed them. Do you know where your Bible is? Do you keep up with it? Do you utilize it? Sometimes the Bible can be lost in the church building because it isn't preached. It isn't taught. We don't make application of it. Ezra had a seeking heart that was prepared to receive the law of God. We need to be of such a heart. Job mentioned the piercing of his heart. He said his, this was Job's adversary, his archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. His persecutors found it a joy, it seems, to make life miserable. Satan had desired to get hold of Job. He slandered Job before God. He said, you turn him over to me and you'll find out what kind of man he is. And the only provision that God left was you're not to take his life. And he made life miserable for Job. As you read that book, you cannot but help but sympathize with him, empathize with him even. And that book teaches us so much about how the heart of man can be tortured. And yet through faith in God, he can still come through and survive. We remember too, that Mary's heart would be pierced. Luke chapter 2, we talked about that just a few days ago. And then in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we learned that the Word of God is designed, so designed as to be able to pierce the heart. I mentioned open heart surgery the other day and one of our members formerly worked in that line of work as a nurse. And she told me about how, you know, the heart is just laid open, the physical heart. The spiritual heart needs to be dissected to root out diseases and so on by the Word of God. That Word as that sharp two-edged sword pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the reason we must preach the Word. Our hearts need to be pierced by that Word. 
just like the people on the day of Pentecost had their hearts pricked and cried out and asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. In Acts chapter 2, the pierced heart. Then there is the yearning heart. Job mentions that. He said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. The yearning heart. How desperately we need a people who have yearning hearts for heaven. The opportunity to be in the presence of God, to bask in the sunlight of His love as it were throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Does your heart yearn for periods of worship like this? Do they long for heaven? Are our hearts yearning hearts? We enjoy the fellowship with one another. That's only a taste of heaven divine that we shall enjoy one day. Job also mentions that his heart was in turmoil. Do you ever have a heart in turmoil? I think most of us do. My heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me with all the things that have been going on in the last year, year and a half. And we regularly hear of people who are dealing with very serious illnesses and there seems to be no rest. Death comes and it seems like there's always multiple cases of it in rapid fire succession. And it's hard for the heart to deal with that. And to be able to make it through all of that, we can have a heart in turmoil, but there is hope, as Job has just illustrated for us. In Psalm 16, verse 7, the psalmist wrote, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night season. The psalmist talked often about meditating in the law of the Lord day and night. What do you think about when you can't sleep at night? To whom and to what do you turn? So many times when I am awakened for no unknown, no known reason, really, I just suddenly wake up. And my heart and my mind begin to meditate upon maybe a passage of Scripture. Sometimes it's good just to get up and start reading the Bible, meditating upon what God has given us. But it's wonderful to be able to recall those passages. And our heart can instruct us during those difficult times and assure us. Somebody said, when you can't sleep, don't count sheep, talk to the shepherd. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good piece of advice. The instructing heart, the heart has the ability to instruct us. We must be sure that it is properly educated in the school of Jesus Christ, not in the school of the devil. There's the overflowing heart. 
Psalm 45, verse 1, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My heart is overflowing. Should our hearts not be overflowing hearts? Overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with generosity and graciousness. Being graceful in our lives. Our heart should be filled with thanksgiving, even to the overflowing. Then there is the steadfast heart. The psalmist said, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. There are a lot of fickle-hearted people. You never know in which direction they're going. You never know what they're going to say. You never know what they're going to do. They're here, there, and everywhere, it seems, at the same time sometimes. But the psalmist said, my heart is steadfast. It is to be steadfast in the hope that children of God have. That blessed assurance of which we sing should serve as an anchor for the soul, as Hebrews 6 verse 19 reveals to us. Is your heart steadfast in the truth? Steadfast in the Word of God? Remember Paul admonished the Corinthian brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. That statement is made, that advice is given in view of the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead and because of that, we all have the assurance that we too shall be raised from the dead. Both the good and the evil. Then there's the grieving heart. Thus my heart grieved and I was vexed in my mind. That's the picture of a tormented man. An individual who is being tormented in mind. A grieving heart. Sin should grieve our hearts. The morning that Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes, in my opinion, has to do with mourning because of sin. Mourning because of sin in our personal lives. When sin enters our personal life, we should mourn, not glory, not rejoice in it, not uh, do a demonstration about pride. We need to be penitent and characterized by mourning. Vexation of mind and spirit. You remember that Lot was disturbed or so disturbed by the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, he was there because of a choice that he made. And our choices oftentimes come back to haunt us, don't they? But Lot was still a righteous man, though he made a bad decision. He realized that what was going on around him was not right, and it disturbed him. Does it disturb us? Or have we become like the proverbial frog in the pan, and we've just gotten used to the situation, and it just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter? 
the grieving heart. Does your heart grieve? There is the proud heart. Psalm 101 verse 5. Whosoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him will I destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. A proud heart. Pride is indeed a besetting sin. It usually precedes destruction, doesn't it? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. For what reasons should we be proud or filled with pride? It's certainly not because we're perfect, because none of us are. None of us are without our flaws. We depend upon God for all of our blessings. A man may stretch out his hand and point to a distant hill where there are many cattle grazing. Those belong to God. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to Him. So why should the farmer be filled with pride? Because God has blessed him. Brother Batzelbeck Baxter many years ago preached a masterful sermon entitled, When Men Will Give. And one of the reasons that he mentioned uh, one of the times when men will give is when they understand the source of their prosperity. The source of their prosperity is God. Why would we ever develop a proud heart and a haughty look? The thinking heart. The, with the heart, men think. Notice, as he thinketh, thinks in his heart, so is he. And as we mentioned last Lord's Day, in the context, this man that is thinking here is a miser. He's a very stingy, selfish individual. But as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What he thinks determines what he does. That's always the case. But it's wonderful that we have the ability to think. That's the heart of man. It has the intellectual ability to think. And how it is that a man can use that very mind given him by God to deny the existence of God is beyond my comprehension. The very mind that he uses answers all of his muses. Why does he even imagine that there is no God? How could he possibly do that when you contemplate the greatness of the human mind? The human mind came from the divine mind, the eternal mind of God. Then there's the revealing heart. Here's an interesting passage that I don't know that I'd ever paid that much attention to until I began running references on the heart. Solomon said, As in water, face reflects face. Have you ever looked into the water and seen your reflection? Who do you see? You see yourself. Water served as a mirror for many ancient people. 
As in water face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. It couldn't be said better, could it? That's inspiration telling us that a man's heart reveals the man. You want to know what kind of a heart a person has? Look at what he does. Look at how he talks. Look at where he goes and what he spends all of his time doing. That's the man. The heart reveals itself in the conduct of the individual. And then there is the wise and foolish heart. Not at the same time now. We either have a wise heart or we have a foolish one. Ecclesiastes 7, 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The foolish heart leads people to engage in things that bring them pleasure, but... The wise man understands that life is a serious matter, that we only have this time here, and then it shall be gone. Which heart do you have? The wise builder had a wise heart. The foolish builder had a foolish heart. And that which they constructed revealed the hearts of both individuals. Then there is the deceitful heart. In Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. The Lord knows the heart. We may not even know our own heart sometimes, but the Lord knows our heart. He knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows exactly why we're thinking a certain thing. And He knows what the result of that thought process is going to be. How desperately we need His guidance that He has given us through His Word. But remember, the heart is deceitful. There are many religionists who say, well, I just feel it in my heart. Your heart can deceive you. You better check the Word and make sure that that's what God has said in His Word. Then there's the knowing heart. Jeremiah 24 verse 7, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me, notice this, with their whole heart. I mentioned that the Bible has several of those whole heart or all the heart passages. This is one of them. The knowing heart. We know in our hearts. The stony heart. Ezekiel 11 verse 19. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Remember Jesus talked about the word, the seed being sown and some fell on stony ground. I've plowed in fields that had a lot of rocks in them. I'm sure most of you that have grew up on a farm so identify with that. I used to tell people about 
that field that we call the Long Holler. Only we called it the Long Holler. And it was known for three things, morning glories, rocks, and Johnson grass. And the greatest of these was Johnson grass. We dealt with those every summer in that field. But I particularly dreaded that area where there were so many rocks. You could hardly step without stepping on one. And the plow would get hung up on them at times. The heart that is stony is very difficult to deal with. Let's avoid that. There's the new heart. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart. Do you need a heart transplant? There are people that I've known who had heart transplants. Just blows my mind to think about that. You know, I told you about open heart surgery, but having a heart transplant, there are a lot of people who need a new heart. They really, really do. Their hearts are so saturated by sin. Their lives are miserable. They make other people's lives miserable. They need a new heart. God can perform that surgery. That's what we're talking about here. Get yourself a new heart, new outlook on life, and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? If you continue with the heart that you have, you have a heart disease that will lead to your demise. So you need to get a new heart. <coughs> then there is the pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Heart needs to be purified by faith. Faith that comes from hearing the Word of God and leads one to obey the gospel and put away those sins, to have them washed away in the blood of the Lamb. <coughs> Jesus said, a pure heart is of premium importance. Then Jesus talked also about a far from God heart. Matthew 15, verse 8, These people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They went through all the rituals and all the motions. They offered their sacrifices. But it was as if to say, I've done my duty now. I do as I please from this point on. They were not really dedicated to God. Their worship was not being lived out in everyday life. That's still a problem, isn't it? Then there is the keeping, pondering heart. Luke 2, verse 19. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Think of all the mothers who is has treasured memories in their hearts from the birth of their babies throughout their lives. They treasure those things. They keep them in their heart. They ponder them from time to time. We need to keep God in our hearts. We need to ponder His Word. The troubled heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Has your heart ever been troubled? If you've lived very long, it has been troubled. The disciples were worried. They were concerned. They were troubled. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He goes on to talk about the mansions prepared and all of those things 
The troubled heart can find comfort and consolation in the truth of God. And then there's the Satan-filled heart. You remember Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Satan had filled his heart. Satan has the ability to do that. Oh, we can resist him. We can prevent his doing that. We are to abstain from the appearance of evil, to abhor what is evil, and to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan can be resisted, and we are assured that he will even flee, but not if we give him a place at the table. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. And the idea is, set him a place at the table. Invite him in, and you'll be sure to be sorry that you ever made him a guest in your house. Have you ever had anybody come? Remember the Andy Griffith show? When the uncle and his family came over and stayed and stayed and stayed, an old Andy family concocted a scheme whereby he got the family to flee from town because that bragging uncle was not ready to go out and really face a real criminal. Satan can fill our hearts. The not right heart. Simon was told by Peter, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. We sing the song sometimes, have thine affections been nailed to the cross. Is your heart right with God? Surely we need to get our hearts right with God. To be right in His sight, regardless of what people may think of us. We need to be right with God. The sincere heart is mentioned in Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 6. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh and with fear and trembling. In sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Paul told the Romans, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. That's the gospel delivered unto you. They had been taught the death, burial, and resurrection. They had died to sin. They had been buried with Christ in baptism and they had been raised to walk in newness of life. And they were to do the will of God from the heart. That's what we need to do. There's the refreshed heart. In the book of Philemon, Paul gently said to him, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Paul makes mention of several who did indeed refresh his heart. We need to try to refresh others' hearts and allow them as our brothers and sisters in Christ to refresh our hearts. Sometimes our heart needs a season of refreshing. But then there's also the shut up heart. I know it's not nice to tell somebody to shut up, but that's not what we're talking about here. The heart that is shut up, as seen in the New King James Version, is a very interesting thought. 
Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? When he sees an opportunity to do good and yet he shuts up his heart, what does that tell us? The heart is the seat of our giving. We'll give in direct proportion to how open our heart is. And when we see a need and we just clam up, shut up our hearts and refuse to give, sort of reminds you of that old boy, you know, was in a business meeting and they needed a roof on the building. And many of the brethren begin saying, I'll give so-and-so, I'll give so-and-so, I'll, I'll give such-and-such such amount. We need to get this done before the superstructure, you know, collapses. And this old fellow that had a lot of money just sat there and sat there and sat there. Finally, a piece of the ceiling fell out and hit him in the head. And he said, I'll give a hundred dollars. One of the other brethren looked to heaven and said, Lord, hit him again. You know, sometimes our hearts are shut up. We need to have open hearts. And then there is the condemning or assuring heart. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but indeed in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. I was talking about giving a minute ago. One of the elders of the church in Indianapolis where I preached back in the 70s would stand before the congregation. He'd say, now you've heard it said, give till it hurts. He said, I don't want you to approach giving from that standpoint. I want you to give until it feels good. And that's what he did. He was a very generous individual. I found it out not from him, but through other people. He was very, very generous. By which standard do we give? John is clearly talking here about the conscience, that part of the heart that, you know, either approves or disapproves. And when our conscience disturbs us, that tells us something is not right. Maybe that we need further enlightenment from the Word. But we need to live in such a way. Remember Paul, even when he was persecuting the Lord's church, lived in all good conscience. He was doing what he thought to be right. But when he found out that he was wrong, he changed. Changed his conduct and became a persecuted one instead of the persecutor of others. How would you describe your heart? Is it evil? If it is evil and dirty, it can be cleansed. If it is troubled, it can be calmed. If it is broken, it can be repaired. As someone said, especially if you'll give God all the pieces. If it's shut up, it can be opened. If it's not right, it can be made right. By obeying from the heart the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would urge you to do that if you have never so done. Become a New Testament Christian this very day. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So if you are in sin, come out of it by coming to the Lord who can save your soul from your sins by the power of His blood. Be baptized into Him for the remission of your sins. Upon making the good confession of your faith, that can be done.
you're an erring child of God, and if your heart has not been right, and it's been drifting farther and farther away from God, you need to come home and be restored. As together we stand and sing, will you come?